Our Old Testament lesson this morning is from 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 20 to 39. It should be found on page 284 in the Pew Bibles, or 553 in the large print. 1 Kings 18, verses 20 to 39. And this is a... Kind of picks up in the middle of a whole story on Elijah and kind of is at the climax of uh, the prophet Elijah and the false prophets of Baal that were also uh, prophesying at the time and actually gaining quite a following. And this is the climax of that. Before we read, though, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. We thank you for all that you have given to us. We thank you that you... um, that you not just give us what we want, but, Lord, that you give us what we need. Lord, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. We pray that you would help us to read it, to listen to it. We pray that you would help us to understand it. We pray that you would help us to be changed by it, that we could live it out with you in everything. Or this morning as we hear your word, read and proclaimed, we ask that you would change us from the inside out more and more into the people that you've created us to be. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. First Kings chapter 18, taking up the story of Elijah in verse 20. So Ahab, that's the king at the time, sent word through throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. 
and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into, the piece, into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and, a, and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Turning to our New Testament lesson. This should sound familiar if you were here Last week, as it is passage from the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 5 through 13, where Jesus is teaching on hypocrisy, but more specifically here on prayer. This can be found on page 787 in your pew Bibles or 1508 in the large print. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then turning to our sermon text for this morning, which should also sound familiar if you were here last week. James five thirteen through 20. I say this should sound familiar last week. This was our sermon text, and we made it through two verses, and have saved the rest for today. We will see how far we make it today. This is the final passage in the whole book of James, and as we have been looking at James uh, for months now, we have seen again and again that what, it's, what the whole book is about is how our lives will be different if we are if we are really uh, those who are believing that God is who he says he is, that he has done what he says he has done and will do what he says he will do. And if we really have this kind of a relationship with God, we're going to live differently than if we don't, whether we say we do or not. And so James has pointed out how you know, merely, merely listening to the word is not good enough. Merely saying that we believe is not good enough. It's actually having this kind of an ongoing relationship with Jesus. And one of the things, one of the ways that that, of course, plays itself out is in the area of prayer. And that makes sense. If you don't really believe that 
there is a God or that he uh, loves you and cares about you and wants to hear from you, why would you pray? But if you do believe those things, then of course you would pray. And that's where James takes us today, is on this area of, uh, of prayer. And of course, as a, as a church, we pray for each other. We have begin um, our worship services together each week, asking for things that we can pray for for each other and for those that we know who are in need. We also spend a lot of time during the service in prayer together. Um, and that's just on Sunday mornings. The question we're going to be looking at, though, is what is it, uh, what is it that we're really praying for? Here's what he says. James five thirteen through 20. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Prayer is the topic there. Usually what seems to be the topic in that passage, the way that it generally gets applied, is what to do when someone's sick and you want to make them well. And so people will turn to this passage. And in fact, we mentioned last week that people have built whole uh, theologies. In other words, how they have their whole understanding of who God is and how we relate to him and how we relate to the world based on only this passage. They kind of rip it away from the whole rest of the Bible. And particularly with that verse, uh, where is it? Ah, verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And they go, there you go. That's what it is. And so we're going to hit on that issue today. We asked four big questions last week. The first thing we said, though, before all of that, was that this is describing an ongoing life of prayer. That's what that whole first part is. If you're in trouble, you should pray. If you're happy, you should still be praying. If you're sick, you call people to pray for you. There's prayer in all situations. So it's not just about illness. We'll see that in a second, too. But for now, um, we asked several questions about when you're sick. Why do we call the elders? Do they have a direct line to God? And the answer there, of course, is yes, they have a direct line to God. It's Jesus. It's the same direct line we all have. But the reason that we call the elders is kind of twofold. One is because they are those who are mature in the faith and therefore should be most inclined to say yes and be willing to pray with you and also be those who are practiced in having this ongoing life of prayer. And um, and there was another reason, but I can't remember. That's right, because, thank you. I can't remember because I've been sick. Uh, <laughs> is that when you're sick, you don't think straight. <laughs> that actually was the other reason. Thank you. Um, and when you don't think straight, sometimes you don't feel like you can communicate clearly. <laughs> clearly. And then that means sometimes you feel like you can't pray 
Uh, well, and so it's good to be there for each other in our own times of weakness. Okay, so that's why we call the elders. The second question we asked is, what's this deal with oil? Is that some sort of magical oil that if you just put this oil on the right way, in the right kind of oil, that, that that's what heals the person? And of course, we said, no, that's not what makes them well. In fact, it actually says, you do that in the name of the Lord, and then we see that it's the prayer that makes them well. Um, but we talked there about how there, you know, there can be good symbolic reasons for doing you know, anointing somebody with oil in recognition that God is the one who heals. But we talked mainly about how oil in that day was used medicinally. That was the medicine of the day. And so it's saying, don't just pray and then skip going to the doctor. Go to the doctor. Do what they say. Follow their instructions as well. Use the, um, use the means that God has given to us for healing as well. Um, but also don't forget to pray. Use these together. And so it says, you call the elders and you anoint them with oil. And then we get to this, uh, the next two questions. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and uh, the Lord will raise them up. And then if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. And that gets us to our last two questions, which is where we begin today, which is, uh, does this mean that if we pray the right way, that healing is absolutely 100% guaranteed every time. Because that's sure what it sounds like, right? And the prayer, often in faith, will make the sick person well. Okay, that's one question. Another question is, you know, it says if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. <clears throat> Does that mean that when we are sick, it is directly tied to our sin? In other words, if you sin, then you get sick. That's just what happens. <laughs> and so if you are sick, then what you need to do is repent of your sin, and then you will be healed. So those are, those are some of the questions this passage brings up. And actually, it brings them up uh, mainly because these are things that people have taught uh, using these verses along the way. <clears throat> there is, uh, there's definitely a whole school of, of teaching that says, if you are sick, it is directly a result of your sin. And therefore... What you need to do is repent. And if you're not getting well, it's because you're not repenting. And so it is your fault you're sick, and you need to get yourself right, uh, repent of your sin, and then you will be healed. Okay, there are people who teach this. And what that does, however, we're going to answer the second question first, if you haven't figured. What that does, though, is it uh, takes someone who is sick and burdens them more so with now it's now not only am I sick, but now it's my fault. And the reason I'm not getting well is also my fault. So you're just sort of layering on the guilt on top of the illness. But the person who's teaching this, they're not having to feel any guilt at all. <laughs> and so it's a way that they can burden the sick person while the well person stays fine. Jesus preaches against that kind of thing. So is, is sin tied, or is illness tied to sin? It is. But not specifically. More in a general sense. In other words, if you remember back when the world was created and God looks at everything and it's all good, we don't see sickness there. And in the end, when we see um, God, the recreation of everything in Revelation and uh, everything is as it's supposed to be, we don't see sickness there either. And so, uh, 
where sickness comes in is as a result of human sin. That that is where it comes from. That's what part of what breaks down the whole creation and that breaks down our relationship with our creator, our relationship with each other, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with the creation. And one of the things that means is our bodies break down as well. That being said, that does not mean that if you get sick, it's because you did something and God is punishing you. All right? That is very important to have in mind. On the other hand, it might mean that. There are times where that may be what's going on. You can never know about somebody else. You can never say, this is why you're sick. It's because you're doing something and you need to quit it. And that way, no. On the other hand, we know that we all sin. And when we are sick, it's a good time to kind of take a step back as you may not be able to go through the things that you usually go through, your usual schedule that may distract you from uh, questions of eternity, thoughts of God that you may kind of push away during your day-to-day. But when you are down, when you are sick, it's a good time to take stock of things, and especially when you have illness that reminds you of your morality, mortality and morality, both. Clear communication, right? Uh, Of your mortality. When you're well, it's very easy to think, I'm just going to keep on going and I'll have plenty of time to deal with God later. But when we get sick, it's a good time to remind us, I'm not going to go on forever. And one of these days, it will be my last day. And there may be things that I need to get right with God about. And so it is a good time to confess our sins. That's what he says here. If somebody has sinned, he doesn't say, now, obviously they've sinned, that's why they're sick, therefore, no. He says, if they've sinned, if, I mean, if that's part of it, have them confess. You know, that's a good thing to do. That is a good practice. Whether we're sick or well, by the way, it is good to confess to God what we have sinned, how we have sinned against him. It's good to confess to each other how we've sinned against each other. Um, and, and I'll, I'll pause on that for a moment back to why that's the case. I want to go back to that other question, though, of the guarantee. The guarantee of healing, right? And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. I keep teasing you with this. And I already told you last week the short answer to this. Is this a guarantee guarantee that they will be healed no matter what? And the short answer is no. No, it's not. Uh, If you take this one sentence and you take it away from the whole context of this passage, if you take it away from the whole rest of the Bible... It sure sounds like that's what it's saying. But when you keep it in the context of the passage, when you keep it in the context of the whole Bible, that can't be what it's saying. It can't be what it's saying. In fact, we see, uh, <clears throat> we see examples of uh, people, like, people like Paul, who in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about having a thorn in the flesh, and he prays for God to deliver him from it. And he prays again. And he prays again. And he's not healed. Now, those who see this as uh, saying the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well will say, okay, then Paul did something wrong. Because the way they understand this verse is to say that kind of takes a couple... We've heard this so many times in in such a wrong way, and our cultural understanding of it is so messed up, it takes a while to kind of get through it all. Let me 
take a look at two words, though, that help us clear it up. One is faith, and the other is well. When we look at faith, what they, how they're understanding this is saying, okay, what he must not have done, he must not have believed hard enough. If you really, that's what it means. You just have to believe that God is going to make you well. And if you believe, and don't doubt, because you know, James talks about that earlier, uh, if you just believe hard enough that you're going to be well, then you're going to be well. And this does the same thing as what we just saw with the whole sin thing. Layering the guilt on the sick person. So what it means is you say, okay, I'm sick, and now I'm praying that God is going to make me well, and now I'm still sick, which means, well, it's either God's fault or my fault, right? Well, God's perfect. can't be his fault. That means it's back on me. And so I didn't believe hard enough. So now I've got to just really, 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 really believe that I'm going to be well. But then I'm not well. And now I'm even worse. <laughs> Because I'm not only dealing with a physical illness, now I'm dealing with a whole spiritual condition of kind of beating myself up over and over again of I can't get this right, I can't get this right. But if I just knew the right thing to say, if I knew the right buttons to push on the heavenly vending machine, then my healing would surely come out. And I want to tell you, that is exactly what we saw with Elijah and the prophets of Baal. That's exactly what we see with Jesus preaching about prayer. Saying, that is not how we view prayer at all. That is not the Christian understanding of prayer. If you look back at Elijah and the prophets of Baal, what were they trying to do? They were trying to push the right buttons on the heavenly vending machine to get what they wanted to come out. And they tried all kinds of combinations of buttons. And they're, they're praying and they're dancing and they're cutting themselves and they're, on and on and on and on and on. One of us has got to get this at some point. Surely at some point we're going to say the right thing, we're going to push the right buttons, and it's going to happen. But it doesn't, because that's not what it's about. And then you look at Elijah's prayer. Elijah's prayer that is shorter than most paragraphs. Very short, very simple prayer. Which really we ought to take a look at again. He prays prays a very short prayer, No dancing, no button pushing, just conversational. And God responds. Not because of what he believed, but who it was he believed in. And not because of what he he said, that he did it the right way, but because of the relationship that he had with God. So here's the prayer that he prayed. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. In other words, if you notice, Elijah's prayer is not, hey, God, I need you to do something. Elijah actually is praying a prayer of response to what God is already doing. Did you notice that? Saying things like, uh, (laughs) let it be known that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. This has been an ongoing conversation. God has told Elijah to do these things, and Elijah's saying, here I am, I'm doing what you have commanded, and now everybody else needs to know that too, and that you are turning the hearts back to you. This is a prayer of response to who God is, not a prayer of trying to push the right buttons to get out of God something besides God. Does that make sense? I hope so. We see the same thing when Jesus is teaching on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, it's not about 
praying in front of people to get their attention. It's not about, uh, and it's not about saying all the right words or saying many words. That's what pagans do. They try to push the right buttons. No. It's a simple prayer of faith. And that's where, you know, we come into this issue of what does it mean, this prayer offered in faith. It's not about just believing hard enough that God is going to make you well. That's not the issue. That's not what faith means. What faith is talking about is this ongoing, trusting, loving relationship we have with God. Trusting that he knows, like the, uh, the version of the Psalm 23 we read from the children's Bible. That he is the one who loves us and cares for us, who knows what we need better than we know it ourselves. And it's in this way that we pray in faith. That we say, like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he prayed to be delivered from the cross, and yet he still goes to the cross. Is that because God doesn't answer Jesus' prayer? No, he answers it. Is it because he doesn't love Jesus? Of course he does. Is it because Jesus didn't have enough faith? Jesus lives faith. That's what he does. But his prayer of faith is, this is what I would like. But I know that you know better. You know more. You know best. And because of that, I can trust you completely, even if it means I go to the cross. And we see that from then on, he gets up and he goes to the cross. We see with Paul, when he prays for the thorn to be removed, the answer he gets is not the thorn being removed. But he says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power can rest on me. So what does it mean to be made well? What does it mean to be made well? Does it mean that God fixes us physically? Sometimes. Does it mean that he heals us from the inside out? Body, soul, spirit. This is what he's after, right? That all the things, we asked the question from the very beginning, what is it that we're praying for? And I think the one word answer to what it is that we're praying for can write this down if you want to. <laughs> One word. What we are praying for is wholeness. Wholeness. And we pray for each other physically that maybe God will see fit to heal us and we will be whole physically. And when he does, we rejoice because we know that every time that there is a healing physically, it is a sign of the kingdom to come in fullness. That is already partially here, and we already see evidence of it, and we see healings that occur. But it's always a sign of the kingdom that's going to come, where we will be physically well with bodies that don't break down anymore. We pray for, we pray for relational healing with each other. This is if anyone you know confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, that we would be. Uh, made well together, that our relationships would be made whole again when they have been broken. So we pray for broken bodies to be restored. We pray for broken relationships to be restored. And especially, we pray that we would spiritually be restored, that we'd be made well, that we would be made whole again, that we'd be whole people, body, soul, spirit, in community and in relationship with God and with each other. 
This is um, this is what it means to pray in faith out of that relationship that we have with God that trusts in all situations. You can read, by the way, about Elijah, who says he was a human being. He was nothing. It wasn't that Elijah was somebody special. It said Elijah served an amazing God and had this relationship with him. And so it even gives the example of not raining on the land for three and a half years, and then he prays, and the heavens give rain. And you can read those parts. It doesn't even specifically talk about his, uh, his prayers or what he said at all. It's all about what God was doing and Elijah just being a part of that because he's in relationship with God. And uh, oh, and then the end, we kind of touched on this already. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is that um, spiritual healing we were talking about, the bulletin cover. I love the picture on there that is a road-closed blockade just before you get to a bridge that is apparently unsafe to travel. <laughs> We're always frustrated when we come up to a blocked road. When I, well, I was planning on taking that road. I want to take that road. But if we trust that the people who put them there have our best interests in mind, then we can return to the right way and we can get on the right road again. James is saying here, we need to be those people for each other. When we see somebody who they were, it seemed like they were living with God and they were growing in their relationship with him. And now it seems like they have turned away and they are going on their own way. And it's a way that is clearly headed for trouble. We need to be those for each other who say, I want for you something better, maybe than you even want for yourself. I want you to come back into a relationship with God that brings complete wholeness. And so, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways, save that person from death, cover over a multitude of sins. One final thing to keep in mind, and that is skipping back a few more verses, where it says that the uh, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Let us not forget, in all of this conversation about prayer, that we need to be people of prayer, obviously. That what that looks like is an actual relationship with our Heavenly Father, not a transaction with a vending machine. <laughs> that we need to have prayer not just individually, but, excuse me, but together as Christians. And then finally, as we recognize our own sinfulness, and we say, how can I possibly pray what I need to pray when I am sinful, when I am broken? And it says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Mine's not going to be. That doesn't mean, by the way, when you have everything fixed up and everything's perfect in your life, then your prayers are powerful. What it does mean is when we are walking with God, the closer we are to him, the more we're going to be praying the things that are in line with his will. John tells us 
This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The closer we are with him, the closer we are in that relationship with him, the more we pray things for wholeness, not for uh, our own desires. And we also know that we have one who is perfectly righteous, who is perfectly... um, His prayers are perfectly in line with God's will. Jesus is also described for us as our advocate, the one who's praying for us. We can call on each other to pray for each other, and we should. But we should also remember always that Jesus is the one who's praying for us. And he is perfect. And if we think that we're supposed to be praying for wholeness, what do you think he's praying for for us? When you look at the things that he prays for, in the Lord's Prayer. So this is how you're to pray. And it is it's for our own good that God would give us what we need. It's not, you know, prayers for us to get the next thing that we really want. But it's that God would give us what we need. That we would come to know him in all things. Let us, from here, go trusting in God in all situations. Praying in all situations, in trouble and in good times, in health and in sickness, that we would have a relationship with God that is through everything and not one that is using God to get something, but that is just a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, who came to make that possible. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.